Welcome to Spin It. We're here uncovering the true stories behind every guest's successes and failures. This podcast is real and raw. We're stripping away the fluff and the perfectly manicured bios to get a glimpse into what it takes to be truly successful. What is your measurement of success? I'm your host, Stephanie Malik. I'm a global business consultant, coach, and crisis expert. So to say I have heard it all before is an understatement. I've seen people flip their world upside down with the slightest error in judgment, only to spin it into their most crucial and defining moment of success. On Spin It Podcast, I'm chatting with high achieving executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs to understand how they have turned their failures into fuel to help them grow themselves and their businesses. I want my guests inspiring stories of truth and authenticity to engage and impact you. We're here giving you real stories behind the headlines and to give you a glimpse of the messy reality that is success. Whether it's a hidden addiction, business scandal, an abusive family, a debilitating illness, or simply just navigating life's hardest days, we want you to learn from our mistakes. Life is all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be talking to Jordan Mendoza, who's the founder and CEO of Blaze Your Own Trail Consulting, and also the host of the podcast by the same name. Jordan has faced a lot of challenges in his life from being beaten and falsely arrested by police at the age of 12 to growing up with a mom who had only one lung. Through everything, Jordan has had incredible self-awareness. After 14 years at the same job, Jordan left to start his own business. He ended up drawing in a large number of followers through his posts on LinkedIn. When I asked him how he did this, he responded by being myself, Steph, and being authentic. Today, he has over 63,000 followers. Jordan talks about the struggles growing up with a mother who gave everything to her kids despite having health issues. Jordan also shares how he pushed through adversity to achieve his greatest success. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I want to talk about your childhood and overcoming so much adversity. The first thing I want to talk about is you growing up in Portland, Oregon, and how is your relationship overall with your parents and siblings? Oh, man. So Portland, first off, what an amazing place to grow up in. You grow up realizing that umbrellas aren't needed. You know, you just put on a hoodie, you put that thing on and you walk out in the rain and you don't need an umbrella. So for for everyone that's tried to hand me um, an umbrella since I moved to the South, I don't need it. All right. <laughs> I don't I don't need it. I'm good. Um, no. So Port- Portland's an awesome city to grow up in. I actually grew up in North Portland. And when I was growing up, it was it was the hood. It was not a good area. I grew up in, you know, food stamps. Uh, we we uh, definitely didn't have a lot of money. But one thing that our that our mom did teach us is, you know, how to love each other, how to be kind to each other. You know, I didn't grow up in the best circumstances. My mom was actually born with one lung. And when that happens in 1958, uh, the doctors were pretty much writing you off. They told my grandmother that she probably wouldn't live to 18. She probably wouldn't have any kids. And so when she was 21 and gave birth to my oldest brother, you know, she kind of took that hand of cards she was dealt and said, screw this, I'm not going to not going to, you know, deal with that. So she ended up living to 54 and having five boys. And Stephanie, the craziest part about, you know, her childbirthing journey is my youngest brother she had when she was 40. 40, like four zero. So God, I mean, that is you know, incredible. Yeah, just just crazy. But this is a woman that 
was the side hustle queen before they existed. Like we didn't have money. So she would go to the dog races. She would go play bingo and try to win blackouts. Like anything she could do to figure out how to get us some new clothes or, or how to make sure she could pay for our summer camps and things like that. She was out there hustling and she never made excuses. Like she had oxygen for a majority of the time that she was alive since I was a kid and she never would complain about it, you know? And so I got taught in an early age, uh, a little thing called empathy and how to really care about somebody. And I learned that from her and from when the oxygen guy would come to deliver these tanks, I would go meet him and I would help put these things on. And so I really got to you figure out what it means to actually care, not about somebody, but for somebody and really being with them in that place and where they were. And, you know, there are a lot of times, you know, as a teenager, I can look back and uh, was, I was a teenager. So I was kind of a, a jerk. And I remember arguing and then, you know, I would literally be in my room and thinking about like, she's surviving with one lung. Like, what the heck am I, what am I complaining about? You know, so I, I think it taught me a lot of self-awareness as well. Everybody is dealing with something and we have a choice in how we react and how we respond to those things. So that is literally amazing, but I, I just need to go back. So you have four brothers. Four brothers, that's right. So besides living with one lung, I think your mother was just like the masterful, like perfect queen in dealing with five boys. That is crazy. Where do you fall in the birth order? Number two. I was number two. So number two, and then I've got um, my brother, who Jared, who is now... 36. He's going to be 36 this year. And I've got one that's 33 and then one that is 20. But, but Stephanie, it doesn't end there because, you know, my dad, you know, he was kind of in the picture, really wasn't. I communicated with my mom, but I didn't actually meet him until I was 12. And when I met him, it was like right before the summer, she's like, Hey, do you want to meet your dad? And I was like, sure. When's he coming? Like, when's he coming to visit? She's like, no, you're actually going to go visit him. He lives in Washington, DC. And I'm like, like where the president lives, like <laughs> I'm going to go to Washington DC. This is going to be strange. So I, I agreed to it. You know, I'd said, you know what, I want to meet him. I want to see, you know, what he's all about. I want to learn about this other side of my family. So I fly from Portland to, I remember this, like it was yesterday, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and then Minneapolis, St. Paul to Washington national. And I remember getting off the plane and just, there's these strange Asian people in front of me, you know, because my dad's from the Philippines, you know, and so it's it's my dad, it's my stepmom, and they're all little people, and I and I wasn't the biggest kid, but still, it was it was interesting for me to see that. And then there was a, a brother that I didn't know I had, and then I, another brother that was just born, you know. So I have six brothers. <laughs> my mom and my dad both remarried, so I actually have a total of six brothers and no sisters. Wow. That is amazing. Okay, so I want to talk about that in just a second, but I want to go back because I want to talk about, the, I want people to connect with how difficult this was. This is not something that's easy. You're you're caring for a, a mom and that, that must have affected you so tremendously and so deeply, like just seeing her, like the oxygen and, and, and seeing how hard she was working. And like you said, she would do anything, but you were also going through your own stuff. Like I read that you got stung 53 times by bees when you were in fourth grade. Yes, this, this was- What did you that know, look like? First of all, I'm still trying to figure out, Stephanie, why we had a picnic to celebrate the end of fourth grade. It, it wasn't like we were going <laughs> to win this prestigious award. You know, we were just going to fifth grade. So, but we, we had a picnic. Uh, this is at Pier Park in North Portland. And, you know, it is everything that a picnic is. It's baseball. It's 
tetherball before that became too deadly. You know, it's, it's all the fun, like park games. And I was playing baseball. I was the one that was up to bat. And it, this was like a movie. I, I, I swung the bat. It flew out of my hand. I kind of spun around. And I, when I went to retrieve it, I grabbed the bat. I stood up. I was under a big Douglas fir tree and a beehive was on top of my head. So literally, like like this was a movie, I was being stung. I was running. The swarm was like chasing me. I'm doing somersaults. Kids are running away. Teachers are running away. And then finally, I made it over under the trees where there's picnic tables. And there were some of the good teachers that <laughs> took coolers and started dumping them on me and were literally picking all the bees off of me. But I'm, and I was like, as I'm running, I'm screaming. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, get these bees off me. And people were running. I mean, it was like a scene in a movie, but um, I went to the doctors and luckily I wasn't allergic. So that's why we're even talking about this today. But yeah, they counted 53 stings. There may have been more, but it was at least 53. Wow. And so, but so you didn't have to stay in the hospital. You didn't have to go through any of that. That, that is that's, unbelievable. Yeah, that's the crazy part is, you know, there was swelling and there was a lot of Benadryl, I think, or whatever yeah, right. lotion that they put on. But, but yes, yeah, survive that. So, so do you think you're still traumatized from that? You know, I don't. And it's funny because I thought I was like, I called myself the bee man, like shortly afterwards, because I would, I would go and I would just grab a bee and I would literally, it would, they would walk around on my hand, you know? And so I was like, man, I think I might be immune now. And then a couple of weeks later, I got stung by a yellow jacket and I was like, all right, I'm oh. not the bee man. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah, I'm not this You're like, I dropped the name anymore. very quickly. That's right. <laughs> Talk to me about when you were falsely arrested at 12, but beaten up severely beforehand. Man, this this was a crazy one. So we actually had moved. So uh, just to give you context and, and for everyone that's going to listen to this, we, we probably moved 14 times from birth to 14. It was a lot of moving. And when I think about why, I'm sure it had to do with money. Maybe we were evicted. Maybe we needed a bigger place because my mom kept, was having children. I don't know what the circumstances were. I just, I just knew that it was normal. You know, and, and to this day, to me, change is super easy. And I think it stems back from from having to deal with that when I was a kid. But this is one of those moves where we moved a couple towns away. And I begged my mom. I was like, Mom, you know, I, I want to finish. I want to at least go to that middle school again. I've been from kindergarten up to sixth grade. I want to go to seventh grade there. And and so she agreed, but I had to take two public buses. So, you know, we learned the route together. We would go, you know, one bus, it would stop at a 7-Eleven. I would have about 25 minutes for the next bus. That next bus would take me and drop me off right at the corner where the school was. And so, you know, in doing this, that 7-Eleven was kind of my halfway point. And so my mom met the lady at the store. She told her that I was going to be there every every day for school. And, and like clockwork, it was just my normal schedule. And then one day I was in there doing what I did every day, which was playing Mortal Kombat 2. I was, I remember the character I was, I was Baraka and I was playing the game. And all of a sudden I heard the bell in the store, you know, you hear the little bell chime and I hear a male voice say, Hey, Daniel, and I'm Jordan. I'm not Daniel. So I just kept playing my game. I was doing my thing. And then within about a minute later, I kind of heard like footsteps behind me. I was lifted up. I was slammed into the Terminator 2 pinball machine next door, punched in my ribs, thrown on the ground and handcuffed. And I remember the lady was literally yelling. There was a, a male cop and a female cop. The lady was yelling. The female cop was yelling and cussing at her saying, if you be quiet or we'll arrest you. And they took me out and put me in the cop car. 
<laughs> and so like, I'm of course upset. I'm crying. I'm like, my name is not Daniel. It's Jordan. And I'm not going to front on anybody and say I was a great student, but for whatever reason, I knew I did my homework the night before. And so I, I remember saying to the officer, I said, I said, officer, if you just reach, I had a London fog jacket on. I, I said, if you reach in my pocket, you'll see my name is Jordan Mendoza. It's on my homework. And I kid you not, Stephanie, when he reached into that jacket, he pulls this crumpled piece of paper up and it says Jordan Mendoza. He looked like he saw a dang ghost because he knew that he screwed up. And so, you know, I remember he was on the phone with my, with my uh, mom and he was saying, Hey, it was a misunderstanding. He totally didn't obviously say he beat the crap out of me and, you know, forced, I had bruised wrists. I had bruised ribs. I mean, it was, it was bad, but, uh, you know, we ended up going to, to court with all this stuff. And I remember, I remember even my mom, because I think she felt so bad for me. She's like, you know, I remember her kind of like almost putting me in a position to where I would say something, even though I didn't personally feel it. So I just remember even at 12, just saying, listen, I know what they did was wrong and I, I do want them to lose their jobs, but I don't want, this is not something I want, want to pursue. And I, so I didn't, I, I didn't fight this. I didn't take it to try. I didn't do any of that. I just said, I want them to lose their jobs. And so they lost their jobs. It was, there was nothing in the media. It didn't go anywhere, but it was, I think I just knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. You know, I knew that they made mistakes that they made and it sucked and it was a terrible experience, but I just didn't want anything. I didn't want to pursue anything further. I can't imagine and being a mom and having four kids. I have a, almost 12-year-old. He'll be 12 in two months. The emotional fortitude and the emotional and physical maturity at 12 years old that you had to make such an empathetic decision and, and still stand up for yourself, still have boundaries and saying, hey, look, I really want you to lose your job, but I also too don't want to inflict this on my mother, my family, myself, and every other person that this is going to affect. Where did that come from? I don't know. I, I, I probably from mom, you know, just seeing things that she'd gone through. I mean, at this point at 12, I'd been to the hospital four or five times with her almost dying, literally sitting next to her with a notebook writing things back and forth because she had a tracheotomy and couldn't speak. So like, you know, I had built up some empathy. I also had a, a grandmother who was in her 80s, a great grandmother who was full-blooded Chippewa Indian who always taught me about the golden rule. Always, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. And she instilled a lot of that to me. And I saw her get sick and, and get cancer and then have dementia and then actually pass away when I was out visiting my dad, you know, so I'd, I'd experienced some of those things already. And so I, I think that's something that was innately, you know, put inside of me that, you know, you've got to think about the impact on other people. Well, and, and not only that, Jordan, I mean, you've, I, I just reading this and, and talking to you and sharing this experience with you, you were 12. I mean, if I think about, you know, what my kids have gone through and even through the pandemic, okay, and, and, and God knows, like, it's been rough on everybody, okay? It's been awful. We went through a move. We did all of that. No friends, everything else. The amount of resilience that you had at such a young age, the amount of real life that you had experienced with your family, with your brothers, with your dad, with, think about, I mean, I don't know if you have children, but five. I'm we have thinking, five. You have five children. We have five. Okay. Okay. Yes. How how old are the kids? So our oldest is going to be seventeen in December. 
which is crazy to think about. I feel like a 17-year-old still myself. So, um, And and you also look like one. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So our uh, second child just turned 13 yesterday. Uh, We've got a 10-year-old. We've got one about to be five and then a 15-month-old. So we've literally got one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary, one in pre-K and one at home. Okay. So, so you'll know, so I have a 26, 25, 20, and 11. And so thinking about just what they've gone through individually and just thinking about their overall, you know, are you introvert? Are you extrovert? You know, just all of like the things we've talked about as far as like Myers-Briggs and things like that. Okay. How each one of them have been affected by the pandemic. And then I look at you taking a public bus to school, not a straight shot. Okay. Getting off of a bus and sitting there and waiting for your next bus without any parental supervision at all, just doing this. Your grandmother dying, you're in the hospital with your mom on numerous occasions at such a young, tender, formative age. And you're like, hey, I really don't want to mess up these people's lives. Okay, let's kind of get on with it. That is incredible, Jordan. That is unbelievable. You, that can't be taught. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's definitely a lot of good influences, right? I think because there's, I could, I could definitely see it going a million other directions for any any situation I've been through in my life. It could have easily gone the other way, right? And and I think all of us can look at our situations and choose that. But I, I've I've always been somebody that's always tries to look at everything from an optimistic lens, even in in the darkest despair. You know, I always feel like light is going to outshine darkness as long as we do our best to to try to push it and, and see it from that angle. I couldn't agree more. I feel like I feel like positivity will always outweigh negativity especially if it's your lens and your outlook and that's what you focus on. I could not agree more. So, your mom passed away when she was 54? 54, yep. And how old were you? I was 31. Yeah, so that was that was probably the definitely the hardest five or six months ever because it was, I remember getting a call. It was during football season. We're big Oregon Ducks fans. We grew up in Oregon. So that's like our, been been the team, been the colors I've wore on my whole life. And I remember getting a text about the Rose Bowl or something like that. And then I remember getting a call and my mom called and she said, Hey, you know, I fell down. I'm at the hospital. I should just be here for maybe a, a half hour and I'll call you after and tell you what's going on. And that was the last time that I talked to her because she, you know, got sick, she ended up getting pneumonia, and then her kidney started to fail. And then her heart started like, literally, it was the trifecta, but it was all the years of her lung, her body, uh, you know, overcompensating for having one lung. And so it just, you know, she just got that cold, and that had turned into her passing. And, you know, I remember getting the call that she was sick, and then being worried and flying from Atlanta to Portland, just keep on making those flights. And, we made one family trip out there in February and she got to see, uh, at that time, all the kids, you know, our, our youngest who's 11 now was just born. And so I remember seeing her in, in the hospital and talking to her and saying, you know, I'm glad we can make it and, and see the kids. And I remember her saying all the kids. And now I, I think back, we've had two since then. And I, so I often wonder like, man, she would just love these two boys. You know, she would be so happy to just see them and, see them thriving and, and seeing herself in them, you know, because there's, there's certain qualities that they have that you can see in their grandma. So whenever you think of your mom and whenever you think about the impact, the strong influence, the love, the tenacity, the grit that she had, what's the number one 
lesson or example that you take from all those years with her into your life today? Man, it's, it's, you know, living your life to the fullest. It's not worrying about what other people think. She had this, she is really where I got, you know, I think my outgoing personality and I have really never cared about what anyone has ever thought about me. And that's something that people struggle with deeply for a long time. And, and I, I always think about where did I get that? And I'm like, it was from mom. Like she didn't care. She would, you know, sing in the car, do karaoke. Like she just didn't care. She just lives life and, and didn't worry about anyone. You know, she truly danced like no one was watching. You know, she just had that, but, but she made an impact on other people through that positivity. Like people would see her with oxygen and being so happy and say like, you know, the hell am I complaining about, <laughs> you know? Right. So, I mean, and that's true. Like, like, what are you complaining about when this person is still singing and dancing and living their life to the absolute fullest, even knowing that it could end any minute, like at any minute it could end. It was never a promised, you know, you're going to grow old and die. It's you may not make it past this. Yeah, hundred percent. So Jordan, talk to me about your career. So you you moved out of an actual like kind of nine to five or an employee uh, relationship a while back. But I want to talk to you about your years as an employee, your years in corporate. What were the deciding factors in having you not start your business early? Like, tell me why you decided corporate and why did you walk through this career in being an employee for as long as you did? And it was so stable. You know, it's interesting. I, I never, I kind of just fell into the 15 year career in property management. You know, I was living at an apartment building. At, you know, my wife and I, we just moved from Georgia to Maryland and I was working for my dad. He owns a landscaping business. He's had it for over 40 years and he needed some help. So we actually moved with our, you know, five month old, who's the one that's about to be 17, was five months old at the time. We moved from Georgia to Maryland to help him. And I was doing landscaping. I was literally running a landscaping crew and doing mowing and weed eating and trimming and planting and mulching, running a crew. Literally, this is in 2005. I'm running a landscaping crew, like 12 hour days. You know, I was, you know, 150 something pounds because I'm, you know, working hard, like really physical labor all day. And and I would literally get up at seven and I would get home at seven. And it was, it was hard. You know, my wife is at home with this newborn and in a new place. And here I am gone all day. And so that was, that was a tough time for her. And I'm just always outgoing. And, and I remember going to get a package one day from the office and they said, Hey, you ever, you were so happy. Like you're so positive. You ever thought about doing leasing? And I'm like, what is that? Like, does it have to do with sales? They're like, yeah, you just, you know how you rented an apartment and we took you on a tour and we showed you the place that would be your job. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. I was like, do you have benefits? <laughs> Cause my, my dad didn't offer me benefits. And so they said yes. And I agreed to an interview and, and that was really where property management started. I started at the bottom as a leasing professional and learned how to lease apartments and within six months, I got promoted to assistant manager. And I tell people this all the time. I don't know how good it is to take your top sales guy and make him a bookkeeper. You know, it wasn't the best decision. Like I probably wouldn't have made that decision, but I'm glad that they did because it, it really taught me that I hate crunching numbers for one, but it also taught me that if I want to achieve something, sometimes you got to go through something to get to where you want to go. So I pushed for nine months. I was assistant manager of the year, and then I got promoted to property manager. And so literally, Stephanie, from not knowing anything about property management at all, 
16 months later, I'm running multi-million dollars in, in real estate. I'm literally responsible for a, a team, a maintenance team. I'm responsible for an office team. I've got budgets, but, but I'm also doing it at a building that had section eight. They had all these different compliance programs. So now I'm learning about project base. I'm learning about the home program, learning about all these different HUD programs. And so I, I basically got a crash course in real estate really, really quickly and kept excelling, you know, got a lease up community that was brand new that they put me in charge of running. And, and after doing that for five years, a role in, in uh, learning and development came up and I decided to, uh, go for that, apply for it, and got it. And that kind of started the eight-year journey in training and development. That is amazing. So from landscaper to, hey, Jordan, you've got a great personality. You're so fun and positive to you know running a multi-million dollar b- business. I really feel like that is exactly how it happens. Like people take this trajectory and they're like, oh, it's luck or, oh, it's, it's you know, they, there's always a, a label around it. It could just be super hard work. It could just be a ton of positivity. It could be just throwing it out there to the universe that you're open and willing and able and you want to learn every aspect of the business. And I think there's no truer person than you who did that. Yeah, I think that for me too, I was never the kid that was good in school. And I think I was just so distracted. You know, I I look at our classrooms now, I've got a a 10 year old, they get a choice between a beanbag seat, they've got a regular, and I'm just like, bro, where was this? Like I was the kid with, undiagnosed ADD, you know, bouncing off the place. And all I got was in trouble because I was disruptive. It's like, you didn't do me any justice. But you know, I I look back, and I'm like, that's why I didn't excel. I didn't have option. I, it was just, you're going to do it this way. You're going to sit in this freaking chair. If you don't do it, you're disruptive, go to the counselor. Now you've got detention. And now I'm not learning. It's like, well, thanks. So I was out there learning by working. I got my first job. We didn't talk about this at 14 going door to door selling newspaper subscriptions. So I got a crash course on learning about human beings, like a hundred people a day at 14, you know, so that was really the foundations for me because I got to learn people that were nice to kids, people that weren't nice to kids. I got to learn that babies slept during the day. It was weird. You know, I got to, I got to learn all these things that became super helpful down the road, but I also built up tough skin in sales because I heard a hundred people tell me no every day. And, And I learned that expectation of if I go out, if I go out to actually search for no's versus yeses, my day is going to be a whole lot better. You know, what's so interesting when you say that is that I grapple with this all the time. I think about all the grit and tenacity, you know, you know, my background, you know, my family, I was working at 13 years old at Contempo Casuals and Foster Farms Chicken. I took three buses to get there. I finished school on independent study. Like, I mean, it was rough. Okay. But like you said, I interacted with the bus driver every single day, whether he had good days or bad days. I interacted with all the people on the bus. There was a lot of mental health issues. There was all of these different things at such a young age of which my children didn't go through any of. And they just had me kind of parroting to them, you know, be kind, be respectful, be these things. And my youngest one has significant ADHD. He comes home with a folder last week and I see his name. And of course, I'm thinking the worst, like, what did you do? And he's like, oh, no, no, that's just on Wednesdays, I get the rolly chair. And on Thursdays, I get the plush beanbag. And he's going through kind of his different seatings in his different class. And I said, gosh, it's the sensory stuff and it's the movement stuff and it's all the stuff that kind of keeps him engaged. And so you, again, hit the nail on the head. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, from a learner's perspective, that would be more kinesthetic learning, right? We need to touch, we need to feel versus auditory or, or visual. And we, when, when did you hear about that? I didn't hear about that in high school. I didn't know that that was a thing, you know? Are you kidding like, me? Like, we you didn't were hear just about in that trouble. That's right. That you were it. just in kinesthetic, like, just stop touching stuff, kid. You know, that was like what they thought about that. But again, it's, it's, I think culturally we've started to make the shift. Like we're starting to recognize that it just can't be this one regimented way. It's not going to work. It's broken. So let's start to at least add some of these things. And I think that's why we've seen a big push over the last really five years with professional development, you know, certifications and all these things. Cause people are realizing like, holy crap, like I didn't even realize that I was wired this way. I didn't realize that I had low EQ. Like, you know, they're actually starting to take that introspective look at themselves versus having people tell you what you are. And that's been a major shift. This week's Spin It shout out goes to Axel Rat. Axel says, I just wanted to say, please, please, please keep it up. I love this podcast. Great job. Thank you, Axel. We really appreciate your review. Do you want to generate fifty dollars to $75,000 of revenue you never even knew was there? It's time to scale your business to a new level with Scale OS, led by me, Stephanie Malik. I can help you get your business to seven figures because here at SME, we've done it before. In fact, numerous times. When you sign up for Scale OS, I will work with you and nine other business owners to give you a personalized roadmap to success. I will help you learn how to tap into other avenues of revenue with sustainable methodologies that will allow you to scale your business. And after this program is done, you will have a renewed passion and drive for what you do. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash scale OS. And Jordan, here's the thing. Like when, do you remember the first time you heard the term EQ? Yeah, it's, pro- it's probably been five years. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Six, yeah. And and so the things that you're saying, like whoever said kinesthetic learner, like who, who's ever said, you know, auditory or visual learner, nobody said those things when we were in school. I think that coupled with the amount of leaders or perceived leaders that have come out like um, Branson or like Elon Musk who have said, hey, you know, we weren't great in school and we stayed in and we kept doing it or Bill Gates, you know, hey, we quit or Steve Jobs, the perceived leaders that had a really difficult time just sitting down with rote memory over and over again without creating, I think has opened up a massively huge educational void. And I think now we're trying to actually get in the rhythm of, it's not a bad kid. It's an exceptional learner. It's not a, a troublesome kid. It's somebody who learns differently. And it's our job as teachers and parents to support this, you know, obviously with boundaries and, you know, with learning and, and making making sure respect and humility come with that as well. But EQ wasn't a thing when we were in school. Our parents didn't talk about that. None, none of that happened. So Jordan, I want to talk about one of the things that drew me to ask you to be on the podcast. And considering everything that you've been through at such an incredibly young age, you are so wise beyond your years. But the one thing that really stuck with me is you said, once I realized why I was born. And when you said that, I stopped everything else. I literally just looked for your number and I was like, I'm going to text you. I'm going to be really you know, authentic. And I'm going to say, Jordan, this is why I want you on. So many people never get to that purpose. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing. What got you here? And and what do you do now every single day to develop that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, a lot of things that, that got me here. I, I think faith definitely got me here, you know, knowing that there's a, 
a higher power that uh, has protected me because any of the number of the things, we didn't get to the accident, right? At 19, any of the number of things, there's no reason I should be, there's no like logical piece of paper reason why like I should still be even here. I've been through so many things and near misses and things. So I know that I'm here for a bigger reason. There's my time isn't up yet, you know? So, and what I realized in teaching a six month leadership program over three years is that I have the ability to help people see things in themselves that they don't see. And, and, coaching people, coaching 15 people a year and having them at the end of six months say that their their life has changed. They looking, they're looking through a different lens. Their relationships are better. Uh, I just said, man, like how impactful would that be if I could impact even more people? And that's the great thing about having a business, Stephanie, is, you know, I can, I can come at it from a marketing perspective, but I can get you super dialed in and leadership. And we don't even have to, you know, there doesn't have to be a separate charge for it, but I, can see things in you that say, listen, you know, if you were to sh- take this one slight shift or maybe put in the reps here, this will help get you to where you want to be. And so just having the knowledge and skill sets, being able to just kind of mold them together as we talked about off air and just bring everything into one is just an amazing thing that I was never going to be able to do in corporate America. I was always going to have to ask before I moved. And that's one thing I'm not very good at. I'm, I'm a rule breaker. I'm a, I'm a risk taker and I'm very disruptive. And uh, I just couldn't see myself being there. And so I prayed about it. I, I woke up the next day that I was going to give my notice. And I just had this peace and clarity. I had a big smile on my face. And that I just knew I was making that right decision to give my notice and to go blaze my own trail. Like, you know, I'm sitting here, I've got a podcast, like I'm telling other people to do it. Why the heck can I, can I go do it? You know? And so being able to just do that and then having my team that I work with for about a decade, send me this thing behind me that says blaze your own trail. And, and one of my coworkers, Pablo, he just had this such a, a beautiful analogy. And I don't know if you've heard the story of the eagle, but there was, I'll give you the short version. So there's an eagle that was raised by chickens. And this eagle was like living on this chicken farm. And so it ate with the chickens, it walked with the chickens, it talked to the chickens, it did everything. And one day the farmer came to the eagle and said, listen, you, you're not a chicken, you're an eagle. And in order for you to, to fulfill your destiny, you need to go to the highest mountain and you need to spread your wings and you need to fly. And so he got him in his truck, went up to the top of the mountain. And the, you know, the, the eagle was of course scared because I'm not a chicken. I don't have big wings. I'm yellow, you know? And it was just wrapped up in this identity and wrapped up in this place where it just needed to be set free. And so it, you know, goes to the edge, it spreads its wings and, and the farmer kind of nudged it and it started to fall down. But eventually that eagle just spread its wings and, and soared. And so and they sent me this picture that you're seeing on the screen now. And it was such a beautiful depiction of, you know, they said, it's your time. You know, like everybody was like, if there's anyone on our team that's ready for this, it's you. And so just having that kind of courage from the team, having just knowing into that intuition inside me that I was making that right decision, I just knew it was time. And Jordan, so that for me, for me, that's the perfect depiction of leadership. So often through coaching and we were, what we were talking about before when we were having our conversation, the perfect depiction for me is inspiring others to believe in themselves. 
making those small pivotal incremental shifts. And you brought up something that actually just gave me chills and, and what we call silent coaching. So as I'm, as I'm coaching or consulting through leadership skills, so we're, you know, developing empathy, we're developing connection, we're developing talent strategies and things like that. You hear, just like you said, other things are improving in in other people's life. Like they're like, my son called today. We talked for 25 minutes and he didn't ask me for money. We just talked about what was going on. And, And this has never happened for me before. And you see the spark and you see the light that happens in them. You hear their 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 tonality change. You see their body language become much more relaxed. You see how they're engaging. You see that they don't have to abruptly interact with others. And you are the epitome of leader because you are doing this for other people and you're doing it effortlessly. And I couldn't agree with you more about the praying and going, hey, what is my purpose? What am I here to do? When you get that stillness, and again, there's so many similarities with us, Jordan. When you get that stillness and you're calm, I gave my resignation on a 31st and I started my company on the 4th. And I remember I called three people that had been instrumental in my life, huge people, president and COO of Microsoft, somebody who ran a billion dollar hedge fund. And I called them and I, I was, I was hesitant. I was like, Hey, just checking in and, you know, having a conversation. And I finally got the nerve to tell them. And they were like, what the hell took you so long? And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, I mean, what are what you've been doing tech consulting? Like you're you have all of these great ideas in your head to bring people together. You have all these great you see somebody and you put the puzzles together so easily and you make them believe in themselves. And I'm I'm literally annoyed. I'm like, and you just tell me this now? Like right you, now you tell me? So the fact that you were able to do that and had such a strong and empathetic team behind you, you're just such an incredible natural born leader, Jordan, and I'm so happy that you were able to talk about that. I want to talk about LinkedIn and podcasts. When you started creating content and on LinkedIn, you really started to gain popularity at a rapid rate. You have over 63,000 followers on LinkedIn today. But here's the thing. You did this completely naturally and organically by just being exactly who you were, just sharing who you were. Why did you decide to use LinkedIn as your main platform? So, you know, it's funny. Um, It was actually a goal in February of 19. I got a goal and the goal was find a a social media platform where we can, you know, figure out how to get our associates engaged. You know, like Facebook. So I I researched Facebook. I researched Snapchat. I, I was kind of on all of them. And for whatever reason, LinkedIn kind of stuck out because it was a time when video just became a thing on LinkedIn. So I started seeing people on video and I was like, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, I do video internally, you know, like I could probably do this, but I was nervous. I was, I was super nervous to be in front of camera. And so there was a, a big, you know, LinkedIn guy, Brian Shulman. He's, he's uh, been a mentor to me. He was a guy that, you know, he does what's good Wednesday. He does shout out Saturday. He was just so positive And I was attracted to that. So I actually reached out to him. Like on, I just sent him a DM and I was like, listen, uh, I see what you're doing. I'm really kind of inspired by it. And I think I could do it. I would love to hop on a call. And I remember he took the time to jump on a Zoom call with me and we talked and I told him what I do. And I kind of told him my story and everything. He's like, he's like, Jordan, you need to start showing up. You need to put your story out there. He's like, you're going to have a way bigger brand than me. And you know, he just started planting these seeds in me. And I don't know why, Stephanie, but for some reason, I believe the guy. I was like, okay, well, he says I can do it. Let me go start doing it. And so I just started showing up and I started creating and I started engaging. And I think one of the biggest things that I think helped me grow is every single person that left a comment, I would reply back. 
every single person that messaged me, I would message them back. And it, and I'm not going to lie and say it didn't take time. It did. But my goal always is to build relationships. Transactions are super easy. We do them all the time at Target. You know what I'm saying? They're super easy. But relationships is where it's at because that relationship, you don't know where that's going to turn into or what connection that that's going to make. And so I was very intentional on building you know, relationships with my audience, making sure I engage, I would go visit their content. And then it just kind of blew up from there. And in December, I was at 20,000. And it inspired me to take my second stab at a podcast. A lot of people don't know I started one. I think I recorded two episodes. I'm the only one that ever heard them. I don't even think I published them because I had no clarity. I didn't know what the, the vision was. I didn't have any of that dialed in. So by the time Jan, you know, December rolled around, like I knew that I wanted to help people blaze their own trail by learning about other people's journeys and stories. And, and my hometown team is the Portland Trailblazers. So I got to really have a, a two-part meaning for my show and get my favorite sports team plus my love for, for Trailblazers into a show. I launched it on January 1st. Of course, I had Brian Shulman as my first guest, as the guy that helped me. And then I had Heather Monahan as my second guest, which was crazy. Like, you know, just getting someone like that that I looked up to. Um, and, you know, now we're 76 episodes in. We've got listeners in 61 countries. And it's been the most rewarding project, I think, that I've been a part of because I've got to learn from so many amazing people. So tell me why you started the podcast. Yeah, it, it was for that reason is, you know, I honestly, it was, it was part selfishly. I wanted to learn about the real part about people because we always get this superficial, like, this is who I am. I'm a slam dunk champion or I'm a this, you know, I'm Olympics, but it's like, all right, well, what the hell did you do to get there? Like, I want to know the hard stuff. I want to know, you know, where you grew up. I want to know about your family. I want to know about all of that because if we can make that emotional connection, like you said earlier, if we can have, find some type of emotional relevance, business is easy after that right? Because you actually feel like you can connect with somebody like you know them. And so that's what I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn like everything about them. And then we'll give them a few minutes to talk about their business and how to reach out to them. But I guarantee you this, your listeners are definitely going to want to connect if they've, you know, if they get more context about you. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jordan, because there was a study, and I cannot remember if it was Harvard or Yale, but many, many years ago, there was a study done around husband-wife conflict around football, around Sunday football, like how guys will just sit there all day long and watch football. And wives are irritated. They're annoyed. They're trying to have a conversation with their husband when their husband's watching a, a game and they can't quite figure it out. They're like, wait, this is not even your team and you're sitting here all, all day long. There was a study that they took 100 men at the beginning of football season and they had them tell their wives about the players. So this player just recently went through a divorce. This, this, this player has a child struggling with leukemia. This player, you know, made it off the streets. And the wives started sitting with them. The wives started watching and the wives started paying attention because it was about the relationship. It was about the connection to the team of understanding that guy is showing up even though all these other things are going on in their life. That person is showing up. That person's playing on Thanksgiving or possibly Christmas or just all of the different times. And it was interesting. 87% of the wives couldn't wait till the next game. They couldn't wait to see that team or those players play knowing what was going on in their life. And so when I, when I say this next question for you, I want to know for you, what is the difference between a relationship and a network? 
Yeah, um, that, that's a good one. I think a relationship is is something that is a deeper connection, right? So, you know, it's to me, a relationship wouldn't just be I'm connected with you online. That would be more of a network. A relationship is taking the online offline. Like I know your middle name. I know your kid's name. You know, I'm I'm actually want to be invested in you. And I want to know deeper things about you. To me, that's where the relationships start. But it's not just, you know, connecting with someone on occasion. It's truly caring about them and checking on them and making sure that they're okay, even when they don't expect you to. To me, that's more of a relationship. Do you ever have pushback either on your show, so on your podcast or with your your um, consulting company, which we'll talk about next? Do you ever have pushback about the questions that you ask or maybe people don't want to get that deep or they don't want that intimacy in the relationship? I don't. And I think the reason why I don't is I'm I'm very good at dancing. Not just not just break dancing, which I am very good at, but I'm also good at when I say dancing, I mean I'm dancing to figure out where their comfort level is. Right. So 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 I'm asking questions that lead me into what my next question is going to be. So I'm my whole show, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually am the opposite of most where I don't actually do research on my guests because I want the conversation to be super organic. I don't want them to know what I'm going to ask and I don't want to know what they're going to say because I'm going to take what they tell me and that's going to lead me to my next question. So I, I so I, I kind of operate like that uh, in my in my life as well. I'm, I'm operating a lot off of intuition. Sometimes it can get me in trouble in personal relationships because I'm like, da, da, da. I'm like, no, that's not what I was going to say. Just let me say it, right? But for whatever reason in the in the business world, I and my wife fusses at me about this all the time. She's like, you're so dialed in here, but how come you can't you know get this dialed in? But I don't know. I think some of us have a knack for that in having those conversations, especially if it's a it's if it's a business relationship. So talk to me about when you look at the podcast. So when you look at Blaze Your Own Trail podcast, what is the purpose for this podcast? So in five years, you want to look back and you want to see or feel what? I want to see and feel that people took the information, they took the stories and they used it as a spark, right? To, to blaze their own trail, right? They, they t- the show is like kindling. And they're taking this kindling and they're, you know, trying to figure out how to, how do I use this rock to spark this thing? And so each time they listen, my hope is that that they get a little bit more injected in them and that eventually they say, you know what? They're right. Like if, if that guy can do it, like that guy failed this, this gal did this. Why can't I, you know, I want them to really get that epiphany and say, I can go do this. I can do something. Uh, I do have these strengths. I have these talents. I have these gifts and I can put them to use and start something on my own. Hope and inspiration. Hope and inspiration. 77 episodes so far? 70, 76 release. Yeah, I'm going to release 77 here soon. Who is your favorite guest? Oh, man, that's that's going to be a hard one because all of the guests are so are so amazing. Everyone, I, I don't even, honestly, I don't think I can say I've had a favorite yet. I have some that are that are booked that I'm pretty excited about. I won't share now. But yeah, I don't think I have a favorite yet because every story impacted me in a different way, honestly. And I feel like I'm connected with each of the guests in such a such a deeper way as a part of that. And a lot of them are, are still connected with and friends to this day. So that to me has been so rewarding just to build these true relationships with people. Jordan, talk to me about Blaze Your Own Trail Consulting. What are your lines of business and who do you help? 
Yeah, so I help predominantly solopreneurs, you know, people that are, are getting started and maybe they're just, they're kind of all over the place. So what we help out with is systems and processes. So getting your CRMs dialed in, getting your your funnels built, and then having everything be tracked and speaking and talking into one place so that you don't have to be on you know, five or six different platforms. So that's one thing. And I learned that from the corporate world where I saw us struggle and be on all these things. And I saw us made a really good decision and get on one platform. And so I said, eh, why can't I do this for my business? Let me try it. Let me do this. And so we, I actually help people get those things dialed in. I also help out on LinkedIn, you know, through my two and a half three years of being on the platform consistently, I was able to build a 12-week program that literally teaches my clients how to go from optimizing their profile to monetizing it and everything in between. So how to come up with content, how to start showing up on camera. Really, literally, my journey is the program, right? But it's, it's actually saving people the time it took me to figure all the things out and getting it dialed in. And of course, there's support, there's calls, there's a private group that's involved with that. Um, and then on the other end, it's other digital marketing aspects, landing pages, you know, most people don't have them, or if they do, they're not optimized to actually convert their leads. So I help companies get those dialed in. I also help out with uh, the leadership side. So if there's someone that just can't show up on camera, well, hey, do you know how you're wired? Let's take MBTI, let's get you past and, and you know, break some of these barriers. So there's, it's kind of cool to be able to take you know, the things that I've learned from the marketing world being involved, really, I've done sales and marketing 25 years, right? If you, marketing looked different, it was, you know, signs on street corners, right? But I've, I've been in that space and it's all about attention. So how do you get the most attention? And so that's really what I'm helping my clients with is, you know, gaining that visibility, getting more attention. And at the end of the day, more revenue, right? It's about that bottom line and making sure that we're converting those sales. Absolutely. It's all about freedom. It's all about because I mean, if you're making if you're making a ton of money, and you're completely tied to your your mic or your computer all the time, and you don't know anything about platforms and CRM and automation. I mean, Jordan, seriously, those were the things like, I could not figure out for me, how could I build a multi 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 million dollar business with no SEO with no Facebook with no Google AdWords with no LinkedIn? How could I go and do this? I had the tenacity, I had the grit, I had the relationships, you know, I kept my word. I did strong partnerships. And how could I just continue to like bomb online over and over and over again? So where the hell were you five years ago, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> right. I was, I was at corporate, you know, doing the corporate thing. Yeah, exactly. You're like, find me there. So Jordan, we've talked about this again, consulting. Everybody talks about consulting. Everybody talks about coaching. It's really hard for me to get connected with the word coach because so many people can just go out and coach and they haven't really done anything big or significant in their life. You know, I have 24 and 25 and 26-year-old LinkedIn coaches, mindset coaches or money coaches DMing me on LinkedIn saying, hey, do you want to get your money right? Or hey, would you like to get your mindset right? And I'm sitting here thinking, first of all, I have a child your age, number one. Number two, where have you failed? Because what have you done? And it's 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 overwhelming, Jordan. I'm not going to be dishonest or I'm not going to like tone it down a little bit. It is, I get a hundred a day saying, I will blow your podcast up. I will make your mindset the best. And I look at them and they're literally like out of school two years ago, if they even went to school. And I'm not saying anything bad against that tenacity or that grit. But what I'm saying is there's so much noise in our industry in consulting and coaching and podcasting. There's so much noise. How do you 
How does blaze your own trail? How do you stand out? What are you and your company and your podcast differentiators? Well, the first thing I'm definitely doing is I'm not going to dessert before the appetizer. A lot of these people are just cold DMing. They don't, they don't, you can tell that they didn't, like somebody else wrote it, they copied it and pasted it in there. So when I get messages like that, the, the trainer in me, I'm like, listen, there's a better approach to this. Like I'll, I've, li- I've literally hopped on zoom calls to people and coach them on the right approach because it's, it's sad. It's just, it's sad, right? Because people are literally telling them that this garbage and this nonsense is going to get them sales and love. Now, listen, are they going to get sales? Absolutely. Because there's some people that will work on, but if they actually build relationships strategically and nurture those relationships and, you know, have better conversations in the DMS to get people onto the offline, offline conversations, their closing ratios are going to be better because they treated a person like a person. We are dealing folks with humans on LinkedIn, not robots. Right. And so if we take a robot approach, we're going to get robot results, right? That are inconsistent. Absolutely. And also too, Jordan, how do you know if they're aligned? How do you know if they're if they're you you have to meet people where they are? You know this in consulting. You have to meet them where they are. This was one of my biggest issues when I was developing a course. When somebody said, Hey Steph, can you create a course on executive presence? I was like, Absolutely, easy, done. And then when I sat down to do it, Jordan, I was like, uh, well, wait, what level are they? Is it is it entrepreneurship? Are they, wait, is it a pitch? Is it corporate? And it was really, really hard. So you, not only that, Jordan, but you're completely right. Are you aligned with just some words on the other side? Maybe this person isn't your ideal client. Have you even asked the right questions? And I feel like you do that so well. So what are some other differentiators that you're looking for? Because I do the same thing and I get in trouble with my with my, with my my group because they're like, Stephanie, you just wasted 35 minutes. I'm like, yeah, but I probably saved that guy's career yeah. because probably, this is crazy. Him out. Yeah, yeah right. and I do the same. Like if somebody comes to my house, I used to do door-to-door sales. So I'm literally watch. I'm listening to what you're saying and then I'm going to critique you. I'm going to say, listen, like, Hey, how about this? How about look me in the eyes? How about you smile? How about you get a little enthusiasm about like, if you're not excited about your product, your customer definitely isn't going to be excited about it. So I often find myself coaching people. And you know, what I would tell people that are, are in this place, you know, it's, it is hard, right? There's so much noise out there. What I would really say is, you know, become a practitioner of what you're doing before you start offering it. Right. So that's why, like, when I like my LinkedIn stuff, I started doing it before I even had the business because I wanted to see if it actually worked. Like, I knew it worked for me. I'm the, the social proof, but can it work for Bill or Jill or Hair? Like, I don't know. So I would actually offer people, hey, let me work with you, do this, and then we'll meet again. And so I, I had to actually put some version of it, even if it wasn't fancy, out. Because if you don't actually practice your offers, if you don't actually become a practitioner of what you're doing, I don't care how many people you sign up, you're never going to be able to fulfill, you know, the promises that you made. It's, it's super important to get the, the feedback because, you know, I would rather have 20 people take it and 10 people hate it, right? And, and then, you know, I can make the tweaks, then put it out and 20 people take it and all of them hate it, you know? And then I'm like, and then I somebody goes and tweets me, you know, says, puts a message out there. You, you definitely don't want that. So it puts you in the, the wrong direction that's hard to come back from. Absolutely. Jordan, I have loved this conversation so, so much. This has been amazing. And I am so excited to collaborate with you in the future. Jordan, where can our listeners find you? Where can they go to learn more information about you? 
Yeah, probably the best place. And it, it's, it should be live now. It's actually jordanjmendoza.com. It's my About Me page. So you can learn about me. You can learn about uh, the show, the YouTube channel, uh, and connect with me there. I, I love connecting with people. Reach out. You can email me there as well. And uh, Stephanie, I appreciate you having me on. Anytime I can you know, speak to an audience and hopefully add a little bit of value, that's always my goal. So I appreciate you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Jordan. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spin It. If you enjoyed the show today, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. To be featured on our weekly shout out, write us a review sharing why you love our show. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode again. If you want to learn more, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E-M-A-L-I-K or visit my website, stephaniemalik.com. I'll see you all next week for another episode of Spin It. Enjoy this sneak peek of what's up next. I've disconnected from that, that concept of journaling being, I need to have all the journals lined up on a shelf, or I need to only use this one app for the rest of my life type thing. Because that's not the practice. The practice is reflection. And we all reflect in different ways. And, you know, when we can stop and, and bring a little bit of stillness in our mind, then we blow out all that mental fog, right? And we allow those practices or those, those prompts to, to work their magic. And next thing you know, like, yeah, that's the decision we need to make because it's freaking clear. Exactly, because you didn't have so much minutiae and crap in your head because you actually were able to clear it out. You're exactly right.